Amen. All right, well, we're there in uh, Jonah chapter number three this morning. And as we've been talking about, we've been going through a series. This is now the seventh sermon in this series on revival. And we are coming close to an end. Uh, This is not the end of the series, but we're coming close to an end of the series. And we've been been talking about uh, revival. And I don't know, I don't know if you remember uh, when we started this uh, series, we began with the great passages on revival, then we started looking at the great revivals in the Bible, and we've been kind of going back and forth. And in the first sermon, uh, when we uh, talked about, wilt thou not revive us again? We learned that revival is two things. It's knowing God, and it's making God known. It's individuals getting close to God and knowing God, and then those individuals making God known, like we saying already this morning, that all the earth uh, may know, which is a theme of our church uh, here. Now, we've spent the last several weeks kind of focusing in on this idea of knowing God. Uh, we've talked about revival through dying to self, revival through the house of God, revival through the word of God, revival through prayer. Last week, we talked about revival through uh, separation. And this all has to do with knowing God, because the truth is this, we cannot accomplish much for God if you and I are not close to God. If we don't know God and understand God and understand God's will for our lives. Today, we're going to focus on making God known. I'm preaching on the subject of revival through uh, soul winning. And the reason we're here in Jonah chapter number uh, three is because Jonah actually led one of the greatest soul winning revivals uh, recorded in scripture. If not the greatest soul winning revival recorded in scripture, we find it here in the book of Jonah, Jonah chapter number three. And I want you to notice several characteristics about a soul winning uh, revival and what that means and what that looks like. And maybe you're here this morning and say, I've not never even heard of that. I'm not sure what that is. When we talk about soul winning, we're talking about going out in the community, reaching people with the gospel of Christ. The Bible says that he that winneth souls is wise. And we are out there trying to win souls for the Lord Jesus Christ. And I will just say this this morning, my goal for Verity Baptist Church is that we would experience, yes, revival, personal revival, that we may know God, but that our church would experience a soul-winning revival and that we would make God known, that we would be a church that would make God known in this community and in this world. So you say, well, what does that mean and what does that look like? I want you to notice three things in regards to a soul winning revival here this morning. And if you take notes, I want to encourage you to take notes on the back of your course of the week. There's a place for you to write down some notes. I'd like to notice, first of all, the result of a soul winning revival. You say, okay, you want a soul winning revival? Well, what does that mean? What does that look like when that happens? If that happens, what would that look like? What would be the result? And I want you to notice that the result of a soul winning revival is this. An entire geographical area being saturated with the gospel. Are you there in Jonah chapter 3? Look at verse number 1. The Bible says this, And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go unto Nineveh. Notice there's a city here. This is the capital of Assyria, a world power at this time. And God tells Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. And I want you to notice that God is telling Jonah a a specific location, a place. I want you to go, and I want you to own this part of the world for me, for the cause of God, for the cause of Christ. He says, go unto Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. Notice verse 3. So Jonah arose and went unto Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh, notice, was an exceeding great city 
of three days journey. And for the ancient world, this was a big city, a big metropolis. And it would take three days to even cross the city uh, uh, by foot. And in our modern standards, you know, we have mega cities that would uh, put uh, a city like Nineveh, uh, would make it seem small. But for this time, with their technologies, a huge city that Jonah went to. And notice what Jonah did, verse 4. And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey. And he cried and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. No, uh, Jonah walks into the city Nineveh and he decides that he's going to preach the preaching that God bid him. He's going to bring the message to this entire city, whether they want to hear it or not, whether they want to acknowledge it or not. His goal was to make sure this entire city heard the message of judgment, yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now keep your place there in Jonah chapter 3. That's obviously our text for this morning. Go with me, if you would, to the book of Acts. In the New Testament, Acts chapter number 5. Acts chapter 5. And you've got the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then the book of Acts. Acts chapter number 5 in the New Testament. And please understand this. Obviously, when we're looking at Jonah, we're looking at an Old Testament uh, missions work here. And, and obviously, this was before Jesus had been born. And uh, salvation has always been by grace through faith. But it's different in the sense that they're calling upon the name of the Lord as opposed to us preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and bringing the name of Jesus and salvation through Jesus Christ. But the principles are the same. God has always wanted the, the, the preaching and the missions emphasis and the evangelistic outreach to go forth. And here, Jonah really an Old Testament missionary being sent into the city uh, to make sure that the city Nineveh hears the message of God. And look, please understand this. As believers, our, uh, our goal, our plan, our agenda has always been and will always be to reach uh, communities with the gospel of Christ. In fact, you're there in the book of Acts. I told you to go to Acts 5, and I apologize. Go to Acts chapter 1, if you would, just real quickly, and look at verse number 8. In the same way that God sends Jonah to Nineveh, God has given you and I geographical areas that he wants us to take ownership of, of those areas and, and, to, and, and to take responsibility for those areas to preach the gospel there. Acts chapter 1, look at verse 8. Notice what Jesus said to the disciples before his ascension. He said, but ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me. Notice, both in Jerusalem, a geographical area. He says, and in all Judea, a geographical area. And in Samaria, a geographical area. And Jerusalem would be the, the city that they uh, lived in. And Samaria would be uh, like a neighboring uh, 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 location, or for us, like a neighboring state. And he says, and, and uh, excuse me, Judea, and then Samaria, the same thing. And he says, unto the uttermost part of the earth. And look, 10 years ago, we came to Sacramento, California, and started Verity Baptist Church with a goal to reach this city with the gospel of Christ. We came here with a goal to, to bring the message of the judgment of God and of the salvation of God to the city. But we've not only done it here. We've started a church in Vancouver, Washington. We've started a church in Boise, Idaho. We've started a church in Fresno, California. We've started a church in Manila, Philippines, in Pampanga, Philippines. You say, why? Because our goal is a soul-winning revival. Our goal is to plant churches 
all over this country and all over this world that will take ownership for their geographical area and saturate it with the gospel of Christ. That is the movement of Christianity that Jesus started. Notice Acts chapter 5. You already saw in Acts 1.8, he said, You shall receive power, after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Acts 5.28. Here we have the enemies of the local church there. Notice what they said. Saying, Did not we straightly command you? These are the enemies of the local church speaking to the leaders of the local church in Jerusalem. And they're saying, Did not we straightly command you that you should not teach in this name? And behold, notice, the enemies of the church in Jerusalem are testifying to this. Ye have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine. And intend to bring this man's blood upon us. And look, here's all I'm telling you. You say, what's the goal of Verity Baptist Church? The goal of Verity Baptist Church is that we would know God and that we would make God known. That those who hate us, that those who hate the cause of Christ, that those who are the enemies of the cause of Christ would look at a church like this and say, you have filled Sacramento with your doctrine. You have filled this area with, with your teaching. You are making God known. Go to Acts chapter 13. Look at verse 44. Acts chapter number 13 and verse 44. Acts 13 and verse 44, the Bible says this. I just want you to notice. You say, uh, I want to be a New Testament Christian. Okay, well, let me show you what New Testament Christianity is all about. Because they filled Jerusalem with their doctrine. Acts chapter 13 and verse 44, notice what the Bible says. And the next Sabbath day came almost, notice, came almost the whole city together to hear the word of God. Look, these New Testament Christians were not messing around. The Sabbath day, that's our Saturday. These Christians were not spending their Saturday hiking. They were not spending their Saturday fishing. They were not spending their Saturday doing Little League. They were not, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with those things, but I'm just here to tell you, New Testament Christianity, they went out soul winning on a Sabbath day, and the Bible says that that Sabbath day came almost the whole city together to hear the Word of God. Hey, what to God it would be said of Verity Baptist Church one day that on a Saturday the whole city of Sacramento just heard the gospel. That the message of salvation was proclaimed. You're there in Acts 13, look at verse 49. Notice verse 49. And the word of the Lord was published. Notice, throughout all the region, the word, uh, uh, the, uh, the word of the Lord was published throughout all the region. You say, why, why do we have the church services and then we have the live streams and we have the YouTube channels and we have all those different things and the mailers and all the things that we do around here because we want the word of the Lord to be published throughout all the region. But please understand this. When you go on the offense with the gospel, realize that the devil is going to uh, attack and the devil is going to go on the defense. Notice verse 50. But the Jews stirred up devout and honorable women and the chief men of the city and raised persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them out of their coast. See, in New Testament Christianity is this. They would go into a location, a geographical location and say, we're going to saturate this area with the gospel. We're going to fill the city with our doctrine. The whole city is going to come together and hear what we have to say about the word of God. Notice Acts chapter 14 and verse 1. Acts chapter 14 and verse 1. And it came to pass in Iconium 
that they went both together into the synagogue of the Jews and so spake, notice, and so spake that a great multitude, both of the Jews and also of the Greeks, believed. Look, I'm here to tell you, New Testament Christianity, the the first century church, did not practice uh, lifestyle evangelism. They did not practice, you know, well, you just live your Christian life, and you just try to have a good marriage, and you just try to raise your children right. And look, I believe in having a good marriage, and I believe in raising your children right. And I think you ought to, you know, do good works that they might see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. I think all of that is scriptural. But these people actually went out into their community. I love these words when it says, and so spake. They spake in such a way that a great multitude, both of the Jews and also of the Greeks, believed. Look at verse 21, same chapter, Acts 14, verse 21. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and had taught many, they returned again to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. Look, these people were, were, they, they were in it to win it. They were, they were going big. They had preached the gospel to the city and had taught many. Go to Acts chapter 19. Look at verse 10. Acts chapter 19, verse 10. I want you to understand what a soul winning revival looks like. Because look, soul winning and a soul winning revival are two different things. Look, and, I, and I'm not criticizing any, any church uh, that, that, you know, the, the church I'm about to describe. I'm not cr- necessarily criticizing that church. But you can find a whole lot of independent fundamental Baptist churches all over the state and all over this country with, you know, five or six or 20 or, uh, uh, you know, 30 people in the congregation and they've got three or four or five. I remember being a young person going out soul winning and we show up to our soul winning meeting and there was Three people there, two people there, and we were just, just being faithful and going out and knocking doors. They didn't give us maps because there was no need to give maps because there was three of us. And there was way more than could be done than uh, could be done by a group of three or five or ten. And I'm not criticizing that. I'm just telling you, I'm thankful for any church that has a few remnant. You've got a, a church of a hundred people and you've got six people that go out soul winning. I'm thankful for the few and the faithful and the remnant. But that's not a soul winning revival. That's soul winning and I'm thankful for that and we got to start there. But a soul winning revival is when a church that knows knows God, gets on fire for God, and goes out and reaches the city for Christ. When the whole city hears the gospel, hey, I'm thankful yesterday we had 72 soul winners out uh, on, on, on Saturday morning. 72 preachers of the word of God that went out and preached the gospel on a, a, on a holiday weekend. And, and here's all I'm telling you. Uh, you say, what, what's the goal? The goal is soul winning. But you know what the real goal of Verity Baptist Church is a soul winning revival. That the whole city would hear, that many would be taught. You're there in Acts 19, look at verse 10. And this continued by the space of two years, so that all they, look, 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 notice these words, so that all they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greek. See, Paul and his group would come in and they'd say, look, we don't want to just reach a few people, we want the whole city. We We want to reach everyone. We, we might not be able to win them all, and we understand that not everybody's going to get saved, but we can at least warn them all. 
He said they continued the space of two years so that all they which dwelt in Asia heard the word. Look at verse 26, same chapter. Acts 19, verse 26. Moreover, ye see and hear that not alone at Ephesus, here again, are the enemies of the cause of Christ speaking. They are commenting on what the uh, New Testament church is doing. They said, ye see and hear that not alone at Ephesus, but almost throughout all Asia, this Paul hath persuaded and turned away much people. What to God that they would say a Verity Baptist Church? Hey, not alone in Sacramento, but almost throughout all of California, this Verity Baptist Church has persuaded and turned away much people, saying that they be no gods which are made with hands. So you say, Pastor Jimenez, you want a soul-winning revival. What does that look like? Here's what it looks like. An entire geographical area saturated with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You say, how are you going to do that? Well, we, we, we first have to know God, and then we got to make God known. We spent six weeks talking about how to know God. You got to die to self. You got to pray. You got to spend time in the Word of God. You got to spend time in the house of God. We understand that. But look, it's not just to know God. It's to know God and make God known. And you say, well, how will we know when we're experiencing a soul-winning revival? We'll know when an entire geographical area is saturated with the gospel of Christ. When the enemies of Verity Baptist Church say, can you shut up? Can you stop preaching? Can you stop coming here and we don't want to hear it and you've filled the city with your message, with your doctrine, with your gospel. Keep your place there. Uh, If you would, go back to Jonah chapter 3. I want you to notice the results of a soul winning revival. Look, I'm just telling you. I'm just telling you. You say, how will you know when you got there? You know, when we knock on doors and instead instead of the piece of paper with the red ink, angry handwriting... When instead of it, when it says, you know, instead of it saying no Mormons and no Jehovah's Witnesses, when they start writing no Verity Baptist Church, then we'll know, yeah, we're, we're doing it. I mean, when we have that type of impact, we're just, we're tired. We're tired of you coming here and telling us and warning us. And we get, we don't care. Look, that is our goal, that an entire geographical area will be saturated with the gospel. But it's not just that. It's not just an entire geographical area. That's just part of a soul-winning revival. There's a second part to a soul-winning revival, and it's this. That many people would be saved and discipled. See, it's not just enough to get people saved. And this is where I lose most soul-winners. It's hard to get people out soul-winning, and once you get them out soul-winning, soul-winners get in this idea where it's like, okay, well, I go out soul-winning, and I get somebody saved, so I win. No, that's not it. It's not just enough to get people saved. See, in in, in the story here with Jonah, he didn't just get people saved. Now, he got them saved. Notice verse 5, Jonah chapter 3, verse 5. He goes in. He says, I can take over this city for Christ. I can conquer this city for Christ. I can preach the message of God in this place. Notice the result, verse 5. So the people of Nineveh believed God. They got saved. What is salvation? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. In the Old Testament, believe in God. The Bible says that Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. These people got saved. They believed God. But I want you to notice, they didn't only get saved, they also got right with God. And please understand this. Those are two different things. Salvation is not of works. You have to do anything to get saved. Just put your faith in Christ. Call upon him for salvation. In faith, believe on Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. But after that, look, salvation is just the beginning. Then God wants you to walk with him. Then God wants you to have a relationship with him. 
You need to believe to get saved, but then God wants you to get right. And I want you to notice, the reason that this uh, uh, story of Jonah and Nineveh, the reason that it was a soul-winning revival is because an entire city, an entire city heard the message of God, but many people got saved and got right with God. They got saved, and we would use this New Testament term, disciple. Notice verse 5. So the people of Nineveh believed God. They got saved. But that wasn't it. And proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least of them. For the word came unto the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne and he laid his robe from him and covered him with sackcloth and sat in ashes and he caused it to be proclaimed. Notice, he, doesn't it sound like the book of Acts? He caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, let neither man... Look, this is how serious they got. They got so right with God, they even made their pets get right with God. Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water. They said, we got to get right with God. They said, we're going to fast and our animals are going to fast. Look at verse 8. But let the man and the beast be covered with sackcloth. And cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn everyone from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. Who can tell if God will turn and repent? Turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not. Look, you know you're getting right with God when you're making your dog get right with God. I mean, when you go home and you're like, hey, listen, Fido, not all dogs go to heaven. You need to get, we need to make this right. We're fasting, you're fasting, I'm tired of your bad attitude. You know, when you get right with God and you make your animals get right, you know you're, you're being serious. And these people got right with the Lord. These people got, they, they, they made things right through salvation and they got right in their actions. Go to the book of Matthew, if you would, Matthew 28, first book in the New Testament, Matthew 28. Please understand this. You know, it's a, it's a holiday weekend, a 4th of July weekend. You know, unfortunately, you have many conservative Christians today that they have their eyes on the wrong place. You're, you're going to, this weekend, unfortunately, or last weekend, you're going to hear a lot of sermons, if you paid attention, from a lot of conservative Christians talking about pray for Trump and Trump this and Trump that. Let me tell you something. Trump is not the hope for this country. And, and you say, oh, are you a Democrat? Look, there, let me let you in on a secret. If you're a politician, you're a, a wicked person. All right. You say, how do you know when a politician's lying? When they're talking, they're lying. All right. Uh, being a president of the United States, the only way. Do you understand? The Bible says that there are rulers and principalities. That there are that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. That that the rulers of the darkness of this world are the ones that are controlling the politics. You ever, the Bible says that the devil is a god of this world. Lower key, uh, case G. And look, I understand that we need to get, be involved and pay attention and understand what's going on around us politically. But please get this. No politician is the hope of any country. They that put their trust in princes, the Bible says, it's a foolish thing. Put your trust in man. And look, and if you think, oh, some politician. We got a governor that, out, that banned singing in church. Okay, that's where we're at in this country. All right, you say, oh, I noticed you guys were singing. Yeah, we don't need to ask permission of anybody to sing praises to God. <laughs> but I'm, I'm here to tell you, you say, well, what's the hope for America? You know what the hope for America is? We get people saved and we teach them to walk with God. 
We get people saved, and we disciple them. We help them grow. And by the way, this is what Jesus left us on this planet to do. Matthew 28, look at verse 19. Famous passage of the Great Commission, you know it. Matthew 28, verse 19. Have you ever wondered why God didn't just rapture up to heaven right after you got saved? I mean, you got saved, you call upon Christ for salvation, and you just got raptured immediately. Why did he leave you here? Matthew 28, verse 19. Knows what Jesus said. Go ye therefore. Go ye therefore. And notice, he's going to tell us, what does he want us to do? Three things. Teach all nations. Now that's talking about going out into our communities and preaching the gospel. The Bible talks about preaching the gospel to every creature. He says, go ye therefore and teach all nations. But that's not enough. That's not it. Look, and that's where most soul winners stop, right there. Well, I went out and I got somebody saved. Okay, well, that's just step one. Then he says this, baptizing them. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Why do we have a baptistry that we fill every week with water and have it ready to baptize just in case somebody wants to get baptized? Why do we do that? Here's why we do that. Because God wants new believers to be baptized. Not to get saved, but because they're saved. To identify themselves with Christ as a believer in Christ. But I want you to notice the third step. Look at verse 20. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. Do you know that discipleship is part of the Great Commission? We're supposed to teach them about Jesus and salvation, then we're supposed to baptize, uh, baptize them so that they can publicly identify themselves with Christ. But then we're supposed to come alongside and teach them to observe all things. Teach them what God wants for their life. Teach them how God wants them to live their life. Look, at Verity Baptist Church, if you, if you, have, if you don't know this, or you've never heard me say this, please understand. This. Everything we do, everything we do at Verity Baptist Church falls under these two headings. We're either reaching people or we're teaching people. We're either reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ or we are teaching people to observe all things. Yesterday we went out to reach people. This morning we are teaching people how to observe all things. Why? Because a soul winning revival is not just a geographical blitz of an entire, uh, saturating an entire city with the gospel. That's a big part of it. That's a big task of it. But there's also this aspect that we go out and get people saved and then we develop relationships with them. We pray for them. We call them. We write them notes. We try to get them to come to church, and we talk to them about getting baptized, and we talk to them about coming to church and learning about, maybe we give them a Bible and teach them how to read the Bible and help them look. It's not just enough to preach the gospel. Many of soul winners, you know, they get, they get excited about, ah, oh, I'm so excited, I got somebody to say, oh, praise the Lord, what's their name? Uh, I don't know. Like, well, how are you going to pray for them you don't know their name? Here's all I'm telling you. You say, what does a soul winning revival look like? A soul winning revival is different than soul winning. Now, we need soul winning. But a soul winning revival is when we have a group of soul winners that says, I want to go get somebody saved, but I want to get those people that I got saved, baptized, and in church, and growing. I want to pray for them. I want to invest in them. I want to develop a relationship with them. You say, why don't we do that? Because that's work. Because it takes work. But that's the result of a soul-winning revival. What does a soul-winning revival look like? It looks like an entire geographical area being saturated with the gospel. It looks like many people getting saved and discipled as a result. But I'd like you to notice, secondly, this morning, not only the result of a soul-winning revival, but I'd like you to notice the requirement of a soul-winning revival. Go to the book of Jonah, if you would. Keep your uh, place there in Matthew. We're going to come back to it. Jonah chapter 1. 
You say, well, Pastor, this all sounds nice. I hope you do it. I hope you get it done. Here's the thing. I believe if we took a survey of everyone in this room, every single person in this room would say, do you agree with what was just preached about a swimming rider? And I, I think all of you would say, man, that sounds awesome. That sounds great. I hope that happens. Okay, well, here's the thing. There's a reason why it's not happening in most places. There's a reason why it happens from time to time here, and sometimes it doesn't, and we have to always be working at, motivating, and getting that, uh, 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 you know, the, 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 the momentum going in that direction. Because it's not just enough to understand the result of a soul winning by revival. There's a requirement. There's a requirement to having a soul winning revival. You say, well, Pastor, why are most churches not experiencing a soul winning revival? There's one big reason it's you. You say, what do you mean? Well, you, need, you see, the thing is this there, there's a requirement for a soul winning revival, and is this God needs a soul winner. You know what God will not do? the work of reaching people with the gospel without you? I mean, look at the book of Jonah. Jonah chapter 1, look at verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for the wickedness has come up before me. Why is it that God went to Jonah and said, Jonah, I need you to go? Why, did, why, why didn't God just do it himself? Here's why. Because God will not do it without a soul winner. I mean, look at Jonah chapter 3 and verse 1. And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah. Don't miss this. The second time. I mean, God already told Jonah to go in chapter 1. You know the story. He didn't go. He didn't want to. I got to go fishing, God. I I got other things to do, God. And God's like, okay. And I'm not preaching about Jonah, but just know this. You can run from God, but you can't outrun God. You, You can spend your time running from God, young person. You can't outrun God. Well, I'll go out to the sea. God will meet you there with his whale. You can run from God. The second time, the Bible says, look at verse Jonah chapter 3, verse 2, and go unto Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. See, God needs a soul winner. God needs a soul winner. You know what we learn from the story of Jonah? Go, go back to Jonah chapter 1. You know what we learn from the story of Jonah? Here's what we learn about from the story of Jonah. That God is so desperate to save people. I mean, think about the fact. God sent his son to die on the cross to bring salvation to all mankind. And God is so desperate to get that message out there that he'll use just about anyone. I mean, look at this guy. Jonah is a piece of work. I mean, this guy does not want to go. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for the wickedness has come upon before me. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, and went down to Joppa, and he found the ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof, and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He's running from God. You can run from God, but you can't outrun God. He doesn't go. You know the story. He doesn't go. God sends the whale. The whale, if he finally gets right with God, the whale vomits him up. Chapter 3, Jonah goes, preaches the gospel. But look, even after Jonah went, this guy had a bad attitude. Go to Jonah chapter 4. Look at verse 1. Jonah chapter 4, verse 1. 
but it displeased Jonah exceedingly. This is chapter 4. Chapter 3, he goes, preaches the, the, the judgment of God. The entire city believes on God, gets right with God, makes their animals get right with God. How does Jonah respond? Jonah chapter 4, verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. These people, he leads the greatest revival documented in the Bible, and he is upset about it. He has a bad attitude about it. Look at verse 2. And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish, for I knew. Look, notice that what Jonah's man at, 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 at God about. He says, for I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and of a great kindness and repentance thee of the evil. Jonah says, God, I knew that if I went and preached to them, that you would forgive them. Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. You know what we call this? We call this a drama queen. Then said the Lord, doest thou well to be angry? And you know, you read the story and you think to yourself, what in the world? I mean, is this really, really, Jonah? Is this even real? Why would somebody be so upset? You know, if you went soul winning, you'd realize that there's, there's lots of Jonas out there. I mean, I've been, I've been soul winning with a lot of people where it seems like, you know, it's like, I want to ask them, like, why are you, are you trying to get people saved? Are you just here, you're just out here to, it seems like you're just out here to pick a fight. You know, there's many a soul winner out there who's more excited about telling somebody to go to hell than trying to keep them from going to hell. There's many a soul winner, you know, you start, you know, it, it seems like they're just on, you know, they're trying to fight somebody, or, you know, just mad about something and angry. Just out there trying to pick a fight. Jonah gets out there doesn't want to go, has a bad attitude about it even after he goes. And you know, here's a, here's a lesson for us, that God will work with a soul winner, and sometimes God will work in spite of a soul winner. But God is so desperate to get people saved, he'll use any soul winner. Matthew chapter 9. See, some of you, go to Matthew chapter 9 if you would. Matthew chapter 9. Some of you use this excuse. Well, I'm not a very good Christian. That's why I can't go soul winning. Well, you know what? Shame on you. Yeah, I'm not a very good Christian. Well, become a good Christian. Know God and then make God known. Well, I'm not a very good Christian. That's why I can't go soul winning. Are you a better Christian than this guy? Because it seems like this guy is pretty lousy. seems like this guy is pretty bad. Seems like this guy, I mean, he's, he has a bad attitude. He's not right with God. He's backslid after the, he leads the greatest revival. I mean, good night. If I led a revival like this, I'd write a book and sell it or something. He's all mad and angry. I can't believe you forgave. I knew you were going to forgive him, God. I mean, are you as bad as this guy? If God can use this guy, God can use you. If God can use this guy, God can use anyone. Yesterday morning in our sewing meeting, we, uh, Brother Oliver preached a sewing uh, challenge about Apollos. Apollos was just out there, just trying, and God helped him, and God brought people alongside to help him learn and, and teach him how to preach the gospel properly. But look, here's all I'm telling you. God needs you. You say, if you say, I'll go, God said, I'll take you. But I don't know. God said, just come. We'll, we'll figure that out. Sometimes God uses soul winners and he works with soul winners and then sometimes God works in spite of soul winners. But you know, the big problem is this. The big problem is this. 
Why are we not? Why is this church not accomplishing what it could accomplish for God? Why are many churches not accomplishing what they could accomplish for God? It comes down to this. The laborers are few. See, there's a requirement for a soul winning revival, and it is soul winners. Matthew chapter 9, look verse 36, notice what Jesus said. And when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them, because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous. But the laborers are few. Jesus says, you know, the problem's not with the harvest. The harvest is plenteous. He says, you, you know, the problem is not with, with the, the results of what would... He, he, here's what he's saying. He's saying, if someone would go, some would get saved. Do you know that? Do you know that there's not a week that the soul winners of this church go out and somebody doesn't get saved? Now, you might say, well, I went out and I didn't get anybody saved. But between the 70 soul winners that went out yesterday, somebody got saved. It's, the problem is not with the harvest. The harvest truly is plenteous. Why are they not getting saved? Because the laborers are few. Because we need more laborers. Notice what he says, verse 38. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. I've always thought this was really interesting. I mean, here we, we just got a prayer request from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. I mean, you know, we give out these little communication cards. We say, you got a prayer request? Write your prayer. And we'll pray for it. We put on our prayer sheet. And I, look, I believe in prayer. We've been talking a lot about prayer lately. I believe in prayer. I think God's working amongst us and God's answering prayers. But you know that Jesus has a prayer request? He says, pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth laborers into his heart. You know that Jesus is praying that you and I will get involved in the work that he left us to do? And I'll just say this. I'll just throw this out there. I'd be really careful... I'd be really careful about praying in the name of Jesus to God your Father through the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ, and claiming the power and the presence of Christ for your prayer. I'd be really careful about praying to God through Jesus, which is how we pray, in the name of Jesus, which is the authority we've been given. I'd be really careful about going to God in prayer through Jesus when Jesus has a prayer request for you. And you refuse to fulfill it. I mean, the Bible says that we should, the Bible say that we should treat people the way we'd like to be treated. I wonder how many prayers you're sending up to Jesus, and Jesus is like, "Well, I'll answer your prayer when you answer mine." Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that He would send forth laborers. How about you answer my prayer, and then I'll answer your prayer. I, I, I wonder if a lot of our prayers aren't being answered because we're not answering the call, the prayer. He says, "Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest." that he would send forth laborers into the harvest. See, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. See, there is a requirement for a soul-winning revival. What does God need? God needs you. God needs me. God is not, look, God is not going to do it without us. It's not that he can't do it without us, it's that he refuses to do it without us. I don't know why God set it up that way. That's how he did it. Study the book of Acts. I mean, have you thought about this? God sends the Lord Jesus Christ, after his ascension in his glorified body to meet Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus. 
blinds him, scares him, and then says, go to Damascus, and I'm going to send a soul winner to get you saved. Goes to a soul winner named Ananias and says, go preach the gospel to Saul. And you ask yourself, Jesus, why didn't you, you had, you had his attention. Why don't you just preach the gospel to him? Have you ever thought about that? You ever thought about Cornelius, the Italian soldier, praying and seeking the face of God? God sends an angel down. God sends an angel down to Cornelius, and the angel appears before him, and he says, go find Peter, and he'll tell you how to get saved. And I think to myself, man, uh, you know, angel, did you have like a lunch break coming up? Why don't you just preach the gospel? You know why? Because God has chosen to do his work in this world through the local New Testament church. God could send a thousand angels to preach the gospel. God has chosen not to. God has chosen you. And the requirement for a soul winning revival is a soul winner. And here's all I'm telling you. Here's all I'm saying. We need you. We need you. We need your help. You say, well, you had 70 soul winners yesterday. It sounds like you're doing all right. No, that's not enough. You know, we, we, when we started Verity Baptist Church for years and years, we had, we had a small amount of soul winners. And I prayed. I, 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 I would pray. And here's what I would pray. I'd pray, Lord, would you give us 12 soul winners? I thought, well, Jesus had 12. He had 12 disciples. So, you know, maybe the Lord will give us 12 soul winners to go out. You know, eventually God gave us 12. So what would you do after you had 12? Then I realized that then after Jesus had 12, Jesus had 70. Jesus had 70 that he sent out, two by two. So then I started praying for 70. Hey, we're there. We had 70 yesterday. He said, okay, so are we done? No, because in Acts 3, he had 120 in the upper room that went out and preached the gospel. So guess what we're praying for now? 120. We need you. We need your help. We need you to get involved. God requires soul winners for a soul winning revival. Let me give you a third reason. We'll finish up. Go to Jonah chapter 4. We talked about the result of a soul winning revival. What is it? It's an entire geographical area saturated with the gospel. It is many people getting saved and discipled as a result of the work of the soul winner. Then there is a requirement for soul winning. What is it? It is that God needs a soul winner. When it comes to soul winning, God will use just about anyone. He'll even use Jonah. Number three, I'd like to give you the reason for a soul winning revival. Say, Why? Why should I give up my Saturday? Why should I give up my Thursday afternoon? Why should I give up my Sunday afternoon? Why should I go and preach the gospel to anyone? Well, there's a reason. Remember our hero Jonah? Take, oh Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Remember that guy? Look at verse 11, Jonah chapter 4, verse 11. Notice what God responds to Jonah. He says, and should I, and should not I, don't miss this, and should not I spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein are more than six score thousand persons? He says, you know, a score is 20. He says, you know that there are six score thousand persons? God says to Jonah, he's a, he's a, you know that there's 120,000 people, not just that you say, oh, there's 120,000 people in the city. No, no, no. There's a great city, a huge city. He says, should not I spare Nineveh, that great city, where are more than 6,000 persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand? God says to 
to Jonah. You know, there's 120,000 people in that city that don't know the difference between their right hand and their left hand. And what is he referring to? I think he's referring to children. You know, there's little kids out there. I, I think he might be reserved referring to slaves. You know, there's some slaves in that city, Nineveh. They didn't ask to be in that city. They didn't ask to be in that wicked uh, environment. They were brought there, and they're, 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 they've not been educated. And, and they, here's what he's saying. He's saying, they are innocent people. He says, there are people in that city who are going to die and suffer the judgment of God if you don't go, Jonah. Well, that's why I sent you. That's why I'm putting up with you, God would say to Jonah. That's why I'm using you, not working with you, but working in spite of you. Because there are many innocent people who would face judgment in that city if someone didn't go. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, if you would, in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st, 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And let me just say this. If you don't go, and if I don't go, there are many ignorant people. And I'm not saying that in a, in a rude way. I'm talking about, you know, you realize that there are people all over the city who, spiritually speaking, cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand. They don't know. They don't know. They're innocent. They're ignorant. We're all sinners, and we understand that, and we've all broken the laws of God and deserve the judgment of God. But do you know that there are people all over? Sometimes we focus on the bad, and we focus on the nose, and we focus on people who reject us and the reprobates, and, and we understand that. But do you know that there are people out there who would get saved if someone preached the gospel to them? 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 3, the Bible says this, But if our gospel be hid... It is hid to them that are lost. You know, here's the thing about soul winning. Is that when we decide, when we decide to not preach the gospel, you know that we are actually hurting the people who need it the most? I mean, we, there's so much talk about this coronavirus and whatever. It'd be like if there was a disease out there that was killing thousands of people. You know, a real one. People actually dying. And, and you had the anecdote for it. And you're just like, ah, I'm just going to. I'm just going to hide it. Look, whatever you think about Corona and all that, I, there is a disease out there called sin. And it is sending people to hell. And if you're saved, you have the anecdote. You have the solution. Look, if you're saved, someone took the time. Someone cared enough. Someone took the time to bring the gospel to you. And then the Bible says, if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them. It is hid to them that are lost. It is hid to them who need it the most. If you would go to the book of Jude, just right before the book of Revelation, last, second to last book in the New Testament. Look at verse 22. The Bible says, and of some have compassion. And of some have compassion, making a difference. And others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. 
Say, Pastor, it seems like this whole soul winning revival thing, is, it's going to require a lot of work, a lot of organization. Maps need to be printed and things need to be organized. And we need soul winning captains and we need this and we need, we need resources and materials to go out to publish and all. It seems like a lot of work is going into this. Why would we do that? Here's why. Because if we do not go, many innocent and ignorant people will face the judgment of God. Who would have got saved? Who would have got saved? If somebody would have cared enough to go, and if some have compassion, making a difference. So here's the question for you. Real basic. Will you go? Will you go? Will you help us? Because the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not speaking generically like, as a church, will we go? I'm saying you, will you go and help us reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Because God left us on this earth to know God and to make God known. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you would stir in my heart and the hearts of our entire church family. Lord, I, I pray that you would stir in our hearts a flame of revival. Lord, I know we're soul winning. And I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for soul winning. I'm thankful for anybody who takes the time to go out and preach the gospel to anybody. But Lord, we don't just want soul winning. We want a soul winning revival. We want to saturate this entire region with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want to know God and we want to make God known. We want to see people saved and baptized and growing in the Lord. But like Jesus said, we need laborers. We need workers. We need helpers. And no one is disqualified from helping because you'll use anyone. If you'd use Jonah, you'd use anyone. Father, I pray you'd help us. I pray that you would help this church to begin a soul-winning revival that would reach people all over this community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. In the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen. We're going to have Brother Matt come up and lead us in a final song as we prepare.